A struggling teen is every parent's concern. We all know that there is something dynamic happening to our teenagers, and the decisions they make during this season of their lives will set the course for the rest of their lives. And if our teenagers are not doing well, guess what we parents do? We worry, we fear, we become anxious. Sometimes we oversteer the car, overcorrect, and, and we become angry. Sometimes a parent believes counseling is the right option, and perhaps that is correct. But before, I, before you make that move and go to a counselor or contact a biblical counselor, I want to share seven things with you that I believe will be beneficial. I am not saying that your child doesn't need counseling, but here are seven things to know if you want to receive biblical counseling. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you are here. If you want to read this podcast, I want you to. It is brought to you by the faithful supporters of our ministry. Victor, thank you so much. Uh, for your uh, donation today. Nancy, thank you so much for yours and all the people who support our ministry. I am grateful you are partnering with us and you are helping people that you will never know on this side of heaven. Thousands of people every day, every week, every month come to our ministry looking for help. Thank you so much. And for the rest of you, it is free, so please read it, share it, print it, mark it up, talk about it among your friends. The title of the article and the podcast is Seven Things to Know If You Want Me to Counsel Your Teen. For those of you who do biblical counseling, you can use this article as a template. With any parent that comes to you, you can just send them this article and say, hey, would you read this? It will help to govern their hearts. Also, it will help to give them a plan and a way to think about uh, their teen and their lives, their family as they move forward. There is also a video embedded inside this article. And so there are a lot of resources here. Plus, I would imagine about 20 other articles that are linked. And so, again, like with all of our articles, there are a lot of resources embedded in them. And as always, we are a dialogue ministry. And so if you want to talk to us, please jump on our forums. They too are free to you. We have free community forums. Get your username and password, and you can ask whatever question that you may have. It may have something to do with a rebellious teenager, maybe counseling, maybe marriage, maybe parenting, maybe something else. It doesn't matter if it pertains to life and godliness and you want some advice. We do have a team of folks that would love to chat with you. Again, this podcast and the article, seven things to know if you want me to counsel your teen. Now you can paraphrase or you can change that. Seven things to know if you want a counselor to counsel your teen. Now before I get into those seven things, I want to share a few thoughts about where your child is and why he thinks the way that he does. I will use the male pronoun here, he, uh, but it applies to male or female. But just to keep it simple, 
I will work with a teenage boy. And so before I get into the seven things, I just want to share a couple of thoughts that would be helpful. The first one is is that your child is transitioning from being a child to becoming an adult. I've said in my public speaking events that when I talk about parenting that we don't call our children teenagers. I mean, we will. We're not that word policy. Uh, but when we think about them and we talk to them privately, uh, we call them adults, young adults. There are two categories. There are children and adults. We don't see them as teenagers, again, even though we will use that term because people understand it, but the truth is they are transitioning from a child to adult, and that transitional window, I suppose, can be anywhere from 10 to 12, 13 years of age as they are changing and stepping into a future that is scary and undetermined. It's it's the fear of the new and the unknown. And those of you, you may remember uh, that transitional time in your life when everything physically, spiritually is changing. Your whole world is changing around you as you are changing yourself. And so a teenager cannot know what he cannot know, which makes him dependent on others to help him navigate the weird waters of becoming an adult. And there is an ironic twist here that he does not want you to think that he's as dependent as he actually is. The awkward teenager, transitioning teenager, wants to be cool, wants to be hip, wants to uh, act like an adult, and he doesn't want to have any tells whatsoever that would reveal that he is truly dependent on others as he's trying to live independent from others. And to add to the complexity, he may act coy, distant, aloof, which is really nothing more than a protective facade uh, to keep from exposure. He doesn't want to be exposed for the vulnerabilities that are actively working in his mind. And so it's hard for a proud teen to say they need someone. Now, perhaps you can relate to his wrestling with humility versus pride. We too, even at our age, can have a hard time of admitting that we need someone. Well, it's just as difficult for a teenager. And so he feels the tension of the transition from dependency on others to living independently from those who have provided for him. And so externally, he may play it cool, but internally, he's afraid. And you need to understand, you do have this inside information. Don't get all caught up in the coy, aloof facade. He longs for friendships. He longs for security, love, And what he does not want is for someone to hurt him, which is the opposite of friendship, security, and love. And so because of this, you may sense a defensive posture as he attempts to hide his vulnerabilities. And so my point here, before I get into the seven things, is understand this is a transition period for this child, and because of that, there there comes all of this necessary baggage. And then the second thing, is that it's important to remember that your teen your teen is no different from you. Being a teenager does not make him unique as far as the human condition is concerned. He's normal. 
He's a relational being looking for relationships that he can trust. At times, those relationships may not be suitable for him, and maybe this is a concern that you have, that he is surrounding himself with some bad companions. But the truth is, he desires, he's looking for trusting relationships. Now, it doesn't mean that he's going to use wisdom or discernment when securing those relationships, but whoever he chooses to hang with will be a reflection of who he is. And that's my point under this section here. Your teen will not choose relationships that they do not feel comfortable with forming. Our relationships, yours, mine, your teenagers, our relationships are an extension of who we are as people. Now, some parents may have a hard time accepting this reality about their kids. The temptation is to blame their child's companions as though their child had no say in who they chose to befriend. Kind seeks kind to hang with, and if your child is socializing with a bad kind, it speaks to his sinful heart. If you want your child to receive help and you're going to work with him, one of the first things you will have to do is accept the genuine condition of his heart. And one of the ways that you can diagnose his heart is by diagnosing his friend list, who he hangs with. And it will be his companions that will reveal the kind of person that he is. And so the title of the podcast is Seven Things to Know If You Want Me to Counsel Your Teen. I'm working in my introduction here, and, and there are Three parts to that. Number one, he's in a transition period. You need to understand that. Number two, friends reveal the heart. And so maybe you need a sober assessment about who his friends are and how they reveal the kind of person that he is. And then my third point here under this introduction is his ranking system. Your child has a ranking system for his relationships. He chooses his friend list, beginning with his best friends are at the top and his worst friends are at the bottom. And so I just want to share with you a few folks that are on your child's friend list. And what I would like for you to do is to rank your child's friend list from best to worst or closest to most distant. And as you rank your child's friend list, it will tell you a lot about your child. Here are some potential candidates on your child's friend list. Dad, mom, youth leader at church, teacher, another authority figure, a Christian counselor, a friend, a group of friends, and the opposite sex. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but it does represent the most common relationships a teen will have. Now, the best case scenario is for the teen to reach out to his parents, dad and mom, to help him navigate through the teen years. The worst case scenario, as far as the list that I just gave you, in fact, it would be interesting to hear what you would say, who is the worst person could be on that list that I just gave you. Typically, the worst case scenario is the opposite sex. 
to be at the top of his list. But you need to know that how you have built a relationship with your teen up to this point will determine how you relate to him now. And so where are you on his friend list from best to worst? By the time your child becomes a teen, the prior relationship you had with him will probably not change anytime soon. And so if you are the go-to person for your child, you're in a good spot. If you're not the go-to person uh, with your teen, that's probably not going to change anytime soon. If the relationship that you have or had historically with your child, if it was tense or aggravated or distant, you can expect this attitude towards you until maybe he's an older adult when he's 35 years old and no longer omniscient and then comes back and wants to build a relationship with you. But you need to know this because I don't want to give you a false hope about how he reacts to you even after he goes to counseling, should he go to counseling. And so perhaps based on what I have said thus far, maybe you could just take this introduction and sit down and talk to your teen and gain his perspective on why he is doing what he is doing. Maybe the Lord would use those conversations to bring the changes you desire. Maybe counseling would not be a necessary option now. If you just work through these three things, the transitioning period, and talk about that with your teenager, or how his friends reveal his heart as you have a true diagnosis of his heart. And then number three, his friend list. How does that rank? Where are you on the list? And and maybe you could talk about those things. And, and again, counseling is not so much of an option. But if that is not a possibility now, then I do want to give you seven things that you need to know before you bring him to counseling. I want you to carefully listen through uh, to these thoughts while asking the Lord to give you clarity about yourself and about your child. And again, if you do biblical counseling, I I would commend you, I would appeal to you to uh, take this article, Seven Things to Know, if you want me to counsel your teen, and that you share it with that parent who comes to you, and they say that I want you to counsel my teen. What would you say? Well, you can share this as you get ready for that possibility of counseling their teen. This is in no particular order. I'll just run through the seven things. The first one is your child does not want to suffer. Now, this is an important point because what this will do, it will give you inside information on him. Your child does not want to suffer. Nobody wants to endure pain. And though he is making wrong decisions, this is not the direction he wants to go. You need to think about him the way you think about yourself. Your child is just a younger version of you, which is a younger version of of all of us. He wants a pain-free life, which means someone can help him because he wants his suffering to end. You see, suffering in this case is a good thing because he's just like you. He's just like me. We don't want to suffer. And if he is struggling, then you already have an inroad, and the counselor will know this. Now, maybe you're not at the top of his friend list, and so he's not going to talk to you about it, but if you send him to counseling, the counselor 
The counselor knows this. Point number one, he does not want to suffer. Because of his desire to appear strong and in control, his fear of exposure will tempt him to erect a defiance wall. And you might not perceive that that he's so vulnerable inside and he doesn't want to suffer. But a wise counselor will penetrate past this veneer. Your child is reachable. Probably someone is already providing input into his life. But my point is that he is not resistant to help. He is looking for a better life. And though he may be confused and though he may be frustrated about finding it, point number one, he does not want to suffer. And a wise counselor will see this, will not be put out by his his thin veneer of being strong and in control and defiant. That's just a facade. It's all it is. We have inside information. He doesn't want to suffer, and that should bring hope. Number two, if you believe you should bring him to counseling, bring him to counseling. Though he will be resistant to counseling, more than likely many of these strong control Uh, types, these defiant types, they will give you that facade, and, and you could buckle under that. You could cave to that and not perceive what is really going on, but if you believe that he should be Uh, In counseling, then the best thing you can do is bring him, regardless of his protestations. You're still the parent, and as long as he is living in your home, you must lead. Somebody has to be the adult in the room. Obedience, or leadership rather, and, and maybe this case I'm talking about discipline as a form of leadership, but it is an obedience issue. And you have to be obedient to God. It doesn't matter how resistant he is or how many times he assures you that he will not talk to the counselor. He will. All of them do. I mean, in my experience, I've never counseled a teenager who did not want to talk. Now, some teens are more challenging. Some of them are madder than others. But my my point one that I gave you still stands. He does not want to suffer. It is common for people to, and this is a good point, by the way, what I'm about to say, it's common for people to talk to a third-party person quicker than speaking to those familiar with them, someone who knows all of their failures. You see, the counselor has no history with your child, which means there is no disappointment either way between them, which means there are open channels for conversation. And this is where counseling can be beneficial because sometimes in parental-child relationships, there's been so much garbage to pass back and forth under the bridge that it has erected these walls that have uh, uh, hindered or inhibited or destroyed uh, communication. And so when you bring them to a third-party person where there is no history, meaning there is no disappointment, going either the direction between them, there are open channels for conversation. And so seven things to know if you want me to counsel your teen, that is the title of the podcast. One, we have inside information. He doesn't want to suffer. And an insightful counselor will get behind that veneer and, and, and be able to communicate to him in an effective way. Number two, bring him to counseling, even if he is resistant 
There can be great hope there because, again, there's no history of disappointment and there won't be these pre-existing walls of resistance because of all the sin that has passed back and forth between parent and child. And then number three, it's not three against one. Now, typically a teen will come to counseling thinking it is three against one, dad, mom, and a religious counselor, and me, the teenager. You should expect him to think this way. It happens a lot. And you don't want to create this false scenario either, by the way, this false narrative. He may believe that you and the counselor have talked to set up a strategy. You may have, but that does not imply it's three against one. A wise biblical counselor will not create uh, that kind of false narrative, and neither should the parent. One of the critical components of the gospel is how God is for us. We read that language in Romans 8.31 where Paul said, what shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, a smart biblical counselor will know this. And a smart biblical counselor will work hard to convey that message, the for me, or in this case, I am for you, as they imitate the gospel and the teenager's life. And they'll communicate that message to the teen, and it will begin to break down the walls. And if there is this false narrative of three against one, the counselor can do a lot to deconstruct that. Counselors do not choose sides, by the way. Truthfully, there are no sides. We're all on the same team, hopefully working toward the same goal. The counselor's goal will be to pursue truth. The counselor doesn't go into a counseling session with a teenager thinking that the parents are 100% right and the teen is 100% wrong. There are two sides to every story, and so a counselor doesn't take sides, whatever the truth is. Now, initially, the counselor will have to dismantle the teen's thinking by letting him know he's for him. But, but once the teenager believes this, he will be more willing to talk, and he will recognize, well, it, it's not three against one. And so point number one, he doesn't want to suffer. Point number two, bring him to counseling. It's, a, it's an obedience issue if God is leading you that way. Number three, it's not three against one. Number four, you must change two. As you probably have intuited, you'll need to make some changes. Teen counseling and the accompanying problems cannot center on the child exclusively. Whatever he may be, he did not get to where he is all by himself. He had help. And you, the parents, have been the primary shaping influences in his life. Prepare your hearts to address areas in your marriage, areas in your parenting that have impact, impacted your child adversely. He didn't get there all by himself, and there is a strong chance that you need to change too. And though his poor decisions and defiance are on him and he has to own his sin, you'll have to own yours. Your desire to change will have a significant impact on how your child moves forward. Whatever it is you want your child to be, you must be a 
respectable image of it. At the heart of the gospel message is imitating Christ. Let him be impressed by your Christ-like example. And if you're not there yet, point number four, you must change too. Number five, he will not change today. Do not expect your child to change during counseling. The counseling season is rarely the solution. He will come to counseling and he will talk about all kinds of things, but he probably will not change. By the way, that's not within the counselor's ability. Uh, that's not his pay grade. It's not uh, Repentance is not in his toolbox. God is the one that grants repentance. And so do not place your hope in counseling. You will find help. You will gain wisdom. You will take a new direction. But your son likely or daughter will likely not transform, not in a comprehensive way. Sanctification is progressive. Repentance is a lifelong process. I mean, think about yourself. Think about me. I haven't arrived either. It is progressive. It is incremental. And so whatever changes you're looking for, perhaps there can be baby steps, but guard your heart. You and he will need a community. And though bad companions corrupt good morals, I I talked about bad friends earlier, but we also know that we can flip that around and good companions will help develop and maintain the right kind of life for him. If you want your child to change, you'll have to think through who will be his good companions for the immediate and long-term future. Your counselor should be willing to walk with you, but you will need a lot more help than what he can offer. And so point number five, he will not change today, not comprehensively, as you may hope that he does. And so you want to think about building a team and and don't put all your hope within the counseling season. Number six, lost in the micro, meaning don't get lost in the micro. Don't Don't look at your son through a magnifying glass and all you can see is where he is today. I want you to listen to this sentence. Here's a short sentence. Think about it. I was in jail when I was 15 years old. Now think about that. You need to know this. Let me repeat it. I was in jail when I was 15 years old. I was a lost child in a hopeless family with no desirable future to pursue. No matter how bad things seem with your child today, you must have faith for the process. He may not be doing what you prefer, but all is not lost. Whatever is going on in his life today is not outside of God's grace. Don't get lost in the micro. Don't be so focused on where he is right now that you forget that there is a process here. And this is what I this is like the previous point. He will not change completely today. And then point number six, you don't want to get lost in the micro. The Lord can change him. And regardless of how you may have failed him too, there is hope. You you may have to endure some disappointing seasons from your child, but God is greater than all of your child's shenanigans. Do not lose hope. Please bring your child to counseling and let the counselor dialogue with him. Your child will talk. Your counselor will listen Your counselor will ask him lots of questions. Prepare your heart for what he may say. 
but don't get lost in the micro of what's happening today. And then finally, point number seven, future plans. The counselor will seek to find out where he's coming from, the teenager, regardless of how the teenager paints the story or paints the picture. The goal will be to get inside his head, win his respect, guide him toward right living. And then afterward, the counselor will need to meet with you within a few days after meeting with your teen. At that time, he will give you a comprehensive plan of what you will need to do to move forward. And part of that plan will be for you to make the necessary changes in your life, particularly how you relate to each other in your marriage and how you both relate to your child. Now, another part, another part of that plan will be about your local church. This is point number seven. We're talking about future plans. You will need a community of care to come alongside you with everyone working together for your child's good. And in the context of community, great things could happen. And I would just say, be prepared to be amazed by God's grace. You're listening to the podcast, Your Daily Drive, this particular podcast, Seven Things to Know If You Want Me to Counsel Your Teen. It is somewhat of a template that you could use, uh, any counselor can use, and every parent can benefit from this. The introduction talked about the transition period. It's important just to understand that they're going through a big change from child to adult. And then point number two was uh, their friends will reveal their hearts. Point number three, they have a ranking order for their friends. And depending on where dad and mom is on that order from best to worst, they may or may not be able uh, to bring care to the child. And then the seven things. Number one, your child doesn't want to suffer. Number two, bring him the counseling if you believe it's the right thing to do. Number three, it's not three against one. The counselor is looking for truth, not taking sides. Number four, you must change too. The child didn't get there all by himself. Number five, he will not change completely today. There may be some changes, but not completely. Number six, don't get lost in the micro. Uh, there is a future. There is much hope. And then number seven, make sure you have future plans. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast.